This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. We turn in God's Word this morning to Isaiah chapter 60, the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 60. Here we find the prophecy of the Messiah and His Kingdom. We begin reading a couple of verses before the beginning of chapter 60 in chapter 59, verse 20. The last two verses of chapter, or chapter 59. And then we read through verse 22 of Isaiah 60. Isaiah 59, 20. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord, my spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever." Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For, behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about, and see, all they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see, and flow together, and thine heart shall fear, and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee, and the forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephah. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered together unto thee. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister unto thee. They shall come up with acceptance on mine altar. And I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are these that fly as a cloud and as the doves to their windows? Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far, their silver and their gold with them unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel because he hath glorified thee. And the sons of strangers shall build up thy walls, and their king shall minister unto thee. For in my wrath I smote thee, but in my favor have I had mercy on thee. Therefore thy gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day nor night, that men may bring unto thee the forces of the Gentiles, and that their kings may be brought For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. The glory of Lebanon shall come unto thee, the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. And I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons also of them that afflicted thee shall come bending unto thee. And all they that despise thee shall bow themselves down at the soles of thy feet, and they shall call thee the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas thou hast been forsaken and hated, so that no man went through thee, I will make thee an eternal excellency, a joy of many generations." Thou shalt also suck the milk of the Gentiles, and shalt suck the breast of kings. And thou shalt know that I, the Lord, am thy Savior, and thy Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. 
For brass I will bring gold, and for iron I will bring silver, and for wood, brass, and for stones, iron. I will also make thy officers peace, and thine exactors righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Thy sun shall be no, shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in His time. We read that far in God's holy word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism. Based on God's word regarding the kingdom. Lord's Day 48. The Heidelberg Catechism is explaining the second petition of the prayer taught us by our Lord. A prayer in which we show our gratitude to God for His great salvation. Which is the second petition. Thy kingdom come. That is, rule us so by Thy Word and Spirit that we may submit ourselves more and more to Thee. Preserve and increase Thy church. Destroy the works of the devil and all violence which would exalt itself against Thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against Thy holy word, till the full perfection of Thy kingdom take place, wherein Thou shalt be all in all. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus has taught us a model prayer A model prayer in which there are six different petitions, along with those petitions and address and a conclusion and praise to His glory. But with all the different parts of this prayer, it is one prayer. It is a unit. It is a whole. It is not a bunch of disconnected parts and petitions without any relation to each other, but rather a beautiful unity. And we see that unity in the relationship between the first petition that Jesus taught us to pray and in the second petition that Jesus taught us to pray. They're not detached and they're not unrelated. They go together. Hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. The first petition we saw last week meant that God's name and Christ's name might be glorified and more and more even glorified in our thoughts, in our words, and in our actions. This is the chief end of man. This is the goal of our lives. Having been created and saved We live today, why? For the glorifying, the hallowing of His name out of thanks for so great a salvation. And we pray because we're so bad at it of ourselves, we pray in this first petition that God would aid us, that He would help us in this hallowing of His name and not our own. But now connected to this first petition, we have a second petition, Thy kingdom come. And what we find in the second petition is the manner The manner of glorifying God's name. Children, how do we hallow God's name? What is the manner in which Christ would have His name glorified? In this way especially, He is saying, 
Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. As the church, you and me, seeks His kingdom first, His name is hallowed. His name is glorified. We said last week that hallowed be Thy name is the first petition. Which means that's the priority. And that is what we ought to seek in every part of our life, the hallowing of His, of His name. But Jesus also said this in another place, very familiar to us in Matthew 6. First, seek ye first. He doesn't say the hallowing of My name, but He says Thy king, the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And so the question is, how can we have the hallowing of His name first and also the seeking of His kingdom first? Well, they have to go together, you see. How do we hallow His name? By seeking His kingdom first. In the second petition, Christ shows us how He wants His name to be glorified. And we need to Align our agendas with His agenda. We need to stop pursuing our own kingdoms and goals and begin more and more to pursue His kingdom and His kingdom goals. In this way, God's name is glorified. And again, because we aren't so good at it, Jesus has us pray that He help us in seeking His kingdom. We read Isaiah, Isaiah 60, because Isaiah 60, as I said, predicts or prophesies of the very coming of this Messiah's kingdom. This is the plan of Christ in the Old Testament. He shows us, Christ shows us what He wants to do, what His kingdom agenda is, and what He will surely do with us and even in spite of us. This is how His kingdom will come. Verse 3, The Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And you heard it as we read through Isaiah 60. Again and again, it is about Sons from afar. It's about Gentiles not yet in the church being brought in. That is the coming of His kingdom. And then comes the end. The perfection of the kingdom. And the, toward the end of Isaiah 60, we, fee, we see the perfection of the kingdom. Verse 19, very, very similar to what Revelation speaks about. The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither... For brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. That's talking about the end, when all things are made new. When there's no need for a literal sun and a moon, because God will be our light in that perfected kingdom. Isaiah predicts especially two main aspects of Christ's kingdom and the coming of it. The gathering of the nations, into the church and the full perfection of the kingdom in the end. Thy kingdom come is a petition. We pray. We pray, really, that Isaiah's prophecy might be fulfilled. All for the hallowing of His name. Consider this petition, the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, as explained by the Heidelberg Catechism and grounded upon Scripture in Isaiah 60, under the theme, Seeking the Coming of Christ's Kingdom. First, Christ's work. Christ's work. Second, our submission. Our submission. And then finally, a petition. We come back to the fact that it's a prayer. In order for under, to understand what the kingdom or thy kingdom comes 
means we have to understand what the kingdom is. This should be a familiar concept to us, as familiar as the word covenant is to us. Kingdom. What is kingdom? The kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ is the spiritual and gracious rule of Jesus over the hearts and in the hearts of His people. The spiritual and gracious rule of King Jesus in the hearts of His people. Focus on that word rule, children. Rule. Kingdom means rule. Often when people talk about kingdom in this world, it's often confused with place, a building, or, or a country, or a domain. That's kingdom. No, that's not first of all kingdom. Kingdom is the rule of the king. The reign of the king. The governing of the king. It's not first of all where the king rules, though that's related, we'll get to that. But kingdom is what the king does. He rules. The word king is in the word kingdom. Kingdom means his, the king's reign or rule. For our salvation, the king came. King Jesus came in our flesh and blood. We must be reminded of this gospel. He was God, God the Son. He was already king from eternity, sovereign with God the Father and God the Spirit. But He, as God the King, came down. He didn't stop being a king when He came. But His kingly glory was hid. And His kingly power was hid. And His kingly rule was hid. As He took on human flesh and blood. Made Himself a baby in the womb of a pauper. Born in the dirty stall of Bethlehem. Not wanted. Where there was no room for Him. Not only at Bethlehem. Neither was there any room for Him in the hearts of the people by nature. This King came. And He bore our guilt. He suffered for our sins all His life while being perfectly righteous. So that when He hung on that cross, as you know, when it looked like He was being conquered and being defeated, the opposite was true. He was the King who was conquering. He was the King who was gaining His victory. He was the King who was defeating Satan and sin and the grave and hell for us. And when the child of God looks at that cross with the eye of faith, he sees above the head of Jesus that superscription, the King, the King of the Jews. And it's not as those other Jews saw it, that that was his crime. And that was something that he claimed, which was not true, blasphemous. But as we look at that cross and we see Jesus there, we say that is truly the King of the Jews. who conquered our sin and then did not stop working, but rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sits at God's right hand. And there He is, our King, today. Kingdom means that King Jesus, the victorious King Jesus, rules. It is helpful to distinguish between His rule of force from His rule of grace. They're not separate, separated, but to distinguish the two is helpful. Sometimes the Bible will speak of God's rule or King Jesus' rule as a rule of force. And by that I mean His sovereignty. His rule over every part of creation so that nothing can so much as move except He moves it. 
That's his rule, his sovereign rule. The Bible speaks of his kingdom in that sense. He controls Satan. Or as we sang, he controls even the wrath of man, the worst of men, according to his will, to fulfill his design. He rules by force, turning the heart of man whithersoever he will. Making the hurricane come. Moving the trees in the wind. Every leaf blows down by His rule. But we might need to distinguish that rule of force or sovereignty from His rule of grace. When the catechism and when the Lord's prayer in the second petition speaks of His kingdom, it is focusing upon this second aspect. His rule of grace. His rule of grace. Still sovereign, but now it is His gracious rule inside the hearts of His people. That's His kingdom that we pray for and pray about in the Lord's Prayer. That this conquering Christ who has already died for our sins, who has risen and ascended into heaven, may now rule over the hearts of His people to intercept our hearts from Satan's cruel tyranny. To penetrate our souls by His irresistible power. To remove that old man from off the throne and to keep it down and give us a new man, a new heart, to rule over our lives, to overwhelm us and constrain us with His love so that we must love Him back and serve Him as our Lord and our King. We're praying about Him making us His people willing in the day of His power. Psalm 110 verse 3. You see how that's different or distinguished from the King or His rule of force? He's ruling over the animals in creation right now and it's not as though He is working in them a conscious willingness to submit to King Jesus. They don't have a soul. When He, when he works ruling over the, the president and over all the governors of this world, they're not having His grace worked inside of them. He's forcing them to do what He wants. That's different from when He works in us. When He works in us, He sweetly and He powerfully bends our will. So we consciously serve Him. Submit, as the Catechism says, to Him. So where does He rule? He said, first, we must know that the kingdom is the rule. Not first of all the place, but His rule. And now we may ask the question, where does He rule? And we've already answered it. Inside the hearts of His elect people. His church. The Catechism says, defend and preserve, or increase, preserve and increase thy church. My church. But when it says that, let us not start with Hope Protestant Reformed Church, though he rules here too. But when we read church there in the Catechism, we ought to be thinking not building, not this building, not this institution even first, or this denomination. But first, we ought to be thinking people. The hearts of the people who will be, yes, members of an institution like this one. But hearts of His people who will be members of institutions worldwide. That's why we need to start with the universal church. The hearts, every human heart of His people. That is where He rules. That is where you find His kingdom. Luke 17, 21. 
Neither shall they say, Jesus said, Lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Within His people, His church. In the hearts of the church universal. Whether they are on land or sea, in true denominations or apostatizing ones, whether these individuals are great or small, in high places or in low places, with more sound doctrine or less sound doctrine, in America or in some other country, King Jesus rules over His people. Whether you and I might like to admit it or not, even when we condemn those over whom He rules, nevertheless, He still rules over His people. The Belgian Confession points that out in Article 27. It speaks of the church first, as we need to think of the church first, as His people in the universe. This church, the Budget Confession says, hath been from the beginning of the world in all time, and will be to the end thereof, which is evident from this, that Christ is an eternal King. There's kingdom. He's the eternal King, which without subjects cannot be. That's a striking phrase. If he didn't have subjects or citizens of his kingdom, he wouldn't be king. But he does. And he will always have citizens, subjects, on this earth even, even when or if institutions crumble. Because his kingdom is in the heart of his people. Pray, Jesus shows us in this Lord's Prayer, pray for my kingdom to come. To come. We define kingdom now that it come. What does come mean? Literally, it means come to pass or that it be realized or as we said in the introduction, that His plan or His predictions regarding His kingdom be fulfilled. May His kingdom come to pass. Sometimes children, when we think of the word come, we think of someone closing the distance between them and us and, and physically coming to our location near us. That's not the idea of coming in the Lord's Prayer. Come means let it be realized. Let it come to pass as God has predicted, as He has planned. And so then the question is, what is His plan for His kingdom that we're praying to come to pass? What is His agenda? What is Christ's design? Four-part plan. I derive this four-part plan mainly from the phrase in the Catechism, preserve and increase thy church. That is the heart of Lord's Day 48. And thy kingdom come. Preserve and increase thy church. The surrounding words all attached to that. Preserve and increase thy church. So children, if you wanted to pray thy kingdom come in different words, you can pray it this way. Preserve and increase thy church. Preserve. That's first in his kingdom plan. Defend. Christ engages as the king in a defensive warfare. Preserve them. And he needs to, def he needs to engage in that defensive warfare because of the enemy, the devil, the catechism says, and all violence which would exalt itself against God and all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word. The devil attacks. You've experienced it recently. You continue to experience it, it seems, one way after another 
Again and again and again it comes. It comes when you hear it in other families, in other churches, but it comes also when it strikes you in your own experience, in your own family. The devil attacks. He has attacked with violent words, with schism, with error, with temptations, and persecution is coming. More and more. He wages war against the king, and he wages war against the citizens of that king's kingdom. The catechism specifies wicked counsels. He said King Jesus has a plan, an agenda. But counsels also means plans. And that means that the devil and his hosts are in their own consistory room, children. They are working on their own plans. Not for the good of the church, as the elders and deacons seek the good of the church in the consistory room. But these devils, and the devil himself, are strategizing to bring false doctrines, temptations unto sin, in the best way possible from their perspective. If He can't make us lose our salvation, He can at least make us fall into great falls and errors so that we doubt our salvation. Still, Martin Luther saying, our ancient foe, still true today, doth seek to work us woe. And his craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate, and our striving would be losing. We're not. We're not the right man on our side. A man of God's own choosing. You ask whose name and who that may be. We already said his name. King Jesus, Christ Jesus, it is He. The first thing we feel, beloved, is an application. The first thing we feel after we feel the pain of attacks and falls in the denomination and church, the first thing we feel is that we better get going and fight. We better start defending the walls or be destroyed. We better hop on our horses and pick up our swords and start engaging or else. We need more men, we say. Did you hear that? There's truth to that, beloved. The first thing we need to think is not we need more men. We need to do more. But King Jesus, King Jesus is the man. King Jesus will defend the hearts of His people. King Jesus will preserve us. That's the truth of kingdom. The ones that He has died for. His entire universal church. He will defend. He's already paid for their salvation. He will bring it to its end. That's His kingly rule. That's His plan. He will accomplish. And then yes, only after looking at the King, trusting in Him, praying to Him, then we fight. The second part of Christ's kingdom plan is spiritual increase. Preserve, the catechism says, and increase thy church. Increase. And we immediately think when we think increase, what Isaiah 60 emphasizes, the gathering in of people into the church. But increase, first of all, means a spiritual increase. The spiritual growth. Not numerical first, but spiritual. Christ Jesus the King seeks 
to work in the hearts of His people, remember. He never stops. He doesn't say, I saved you, now I'm done with you. It takes His continued rule to preserve you and to grow you, and He does. We need the maturing of our faith, the development of our minds in true doctrine, the growth of our hearts, the humbling of our pride, the sanctification of our lives, more repentance. You think you've repented enough? More repentance, daily repentance, and dependence on Jesus. More and more, the Catechism says, that I submit, submit, that I set myself under Him. Beloved people of God, don't you imagine. Stop feeling this way. That you have made enough progress. That King Jesus has more work to do out there, but not in here. And somehow, He has purified us by getting people out, and now we are pure. If you have not learned that lesson with His chastising hand in the last few years, you'd better learn it. We had better learn it. Because He will teach us with greater chastisements. He has just as much work to do in our hearts in Protestant Reformed people, in my heart, as He does in other churches. That's first of all, not your work. King Jesus' work. That's why we have to pray. My kingdom come. The third part of King Jesus' plan is yes, to gather His people, increase souls in His kingdom, rule in us. Because Christ's work is not only a defensive battle, it's an offensive one. For the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, He gathers His people. He goes forth in missions, in evangelism, to cause others' hearts who have not yet submitted to Him for the first time to submit. This numerical increase of His kingdom is not emphasized enough is not emphasized enough in our churches that this is what King Jesus is interested in. This is the very emphasis of Isaiah 60. When Isaiah predicts and prophesies of the coming of his kingdom, Messiah's kingdom, he speaks of the Gentiles coming to thy light. The church lit with the light of the world so that more Gentiles are brought in. A church becoming a city on a hill that cannot be hid. This, Jesus says, is what I do. This is my kingdom plan. It is not that I take my people and I isolate them. I make them a sectarian group in West Michigan, inward looking, feeling safe in a bubble when they're not really safe, and hating everyone on the outside. It is not that. But it's the mobilization of an army while defending, don't misunderstand, while defending the souls of those in covenant already going forth as arrows in the hand of a mighty man to speak with the enemy at the gate and going forth for the conquering of souls into His kingdom. The fourth part of His agenda 
is that the end shall come. This Gospel, Jesus said in Matthew 24, the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. After this Gospel has gone to conquer all kinds of people and they're brought into the church, then Christ will appear. And then He shall be, as the Catechism says, all in all. That means He will be everything to you and me. But not just to you and me. He will be everything to us all in all the world. And the new heavens and the new earth will be ours for the praise and the glory of His name, the name of King Jesus. King Jesus will do this. It's His work. This is His plan. He is not dependent on you or me. He will do this even in spite of you and me. Even if we say, I don't want to have anything to do with His kingdom agenda, His plan, He still gets His plan done. Because He's King. Thank God. Even when we mess it up with our hands, our dirty hands, when we begin fighting with each other instead of together fighting for the causes of His kingdom, He still gets it done. Because he's king. It's not first of all what you must do. But what Jesus will do. And then, secondly, as we pray thy kingdom come, he teaches us to submit to him. Beloved, do you want what Jesus wants? Do you want what the king wants? The preservation of his people. The spiritual growth of them. The gathering in of the nations. In the end, no, we're not called to be spectators. We're the church militant. We're not called to be sitting back and watching, inactive and passive, but engaged. Yes, doing doing the work as His weak means. The defense of the church is not left up to the elders, though they lead in that. The speaking of the Gospel is not left up to the minister, though it often starts with that. The showing forth of the compassion of Jesus Christ with both word and deed is not for the deacons, only, but for the church of Jesus Christ. First, remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And first doesn't mean just on the first day of the week. First means it's a priority so that every part of our life we are to see somehow connected with this plan of Christ's kingdom. Leaders, fathers, men of this church, families, together with those leaders, we have so many plans. So many plans that aren't wrong of themselves. We have sports plans. We fill up our schedule. We have so many things to do. Everyone says they're busy. What are we busy in? What makes us so busy?
we need to reevaluate again and again where our priorities are. Fathers, leaders of this church, where are our priorities? Do they line up with Christ's priorities? And if there's anything in our busy schedules that don't line up, that don't somehow connect, that even hinder and detract from the kingdom of Christ that we've just talked about today, then we need to be willing to give it up. That we may lead our families, and together we may seek Christ's kingdom first. And there you see how far we fall short again. If you're willing to do that humble reevaluation of our busy lives, you see. Christ's kingdom isn't first. When I get mad and you get mad at your children, fathers, whose kingdom is it about? When we lose our temper and show our wrath, it's about my kingdom. It's about my way that it needs to get done. It's about my name that needs to be promoted with this family. When I start attacking other people because they point out a weakness in my church or in my family, in wrath I pull up all my defenses in self-righteousness. What is it about? It's about the kingdom of some brand, some name, rather than the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of Christ. That must be first. That's what I seek after. When I busy myself all the week without a thought of King Jesus, yes, even in the ministry, it's all about getting the work done, making sure I don't embarrass myself. It's not about King Jesus. It's about this King. I am King, we say by nature. I want it my way. I want my kingdom to come. My plan, my will to be done. My name hallowed. So we brought to our knees again. We're brought to our knees again. In a real, humble, and sincere petition. And the first evidence that this is a humble, sincere petition is an acknowledgement that I don't seek Christ's kingdom. We don't seek Christ's kingdom as we ought. And then positively, Make me more mission-minded. That's not extreme. That's not imbalanced. What is the mission of King Jesus? To defend His people. To increase His kingdom. The spiritual welfare of the hearts of His people. To bring in His Gentiles from afar into His church. To bring the end. Make my mind more aware of King Jesus' mission. Make me more subservient to King Jesus' mission. Make me more involved in King Jesus' mission. We're praying for ourselves and for our church. And he says, doesn't he? As we pray. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek, 
and he shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Amen. Let's pray. O God, our Father, with Jesus Christ, Thy Son, our King, we thank Thee and praise Thee that Thou hast established Thy rule, Thy kingly rule in the throne of our hearts, ruling us by grace. That's the only way we can pray. Forgive us, we pray, for we have pursued our own kingdom instead of seeking Thine. Forgive us through Jesus Christ who did that work, that kingly work perfectly. And we pray that His Spirit too, He may work in our hearts so that we might submit more and more unto King Jesus and His plan, His agenda, and our, and our lives and our plans might be conformed, might be aligned more and more unto His. Preserve us, we pray, as Thy people. Increase Thy church. And come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast. We publish daily meditations, Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day sermons on Wednesdays, and topical podcasts on Fridays. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org, and you can email us with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.